my good for beer is actually on uh, another view of it. Uh, my worst for beer and my worst for beer um, is on the face of it also the best for beer. So do you want me to answer those together or do you want me to just throw in best for beer and then come back to it in when we discuss worst for beer? Just fucking answer it to be a start. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks to Cryer Malt and the big man in the red suit with the fat sack. Uh, this is Radio Brews News. I am your festive host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me on this episode are the founding and current elves, sorry, editors of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard and James Atkinson. Uh, Matt, season's greetings. And to you too, Prof. Uh, Merry Christmas to you both and Merry Christmas to all the listeners. And uh, yeah, very excited to uh, have got through another year. And Matt, I think it's probably been our most regular year yet. It certainly has. James, um, been very much a part of that. Welcome and uh, Merry Christmas, mate. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's certainly been a massive year of news, that's for sure. I was just sort of, um, you know, thinking about that this week, just the number of different things that have happened this year, and it's amazing what you can what you can pack into one year. Yeah, exactly. And uh, look, I know we've made mention of you, uh, mostly when you haven't been here, but uh, so let me take the opportunity to do it while you are here. Um, but certainly I think the change in the format of Radio Brews News has certainly resonated with the listeners, and I think it's certainly been very enjoyable working alongside you, because as I say, you know, Matt and I... Um, bring a certain, oh, what the French would say, Je ne I don't sais know what, <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Je ne sais age. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hang on, hang on. Now, yeah, just before we get into, you know, pumping your tyres up, I'm just going to give you just a little bit of a backhander. Because, you know, not, on more than one occasion, I, I have heard you refer to Matt and myself as Waldorf and Statler. And <laughs> as I look at my, uh, my, my screen over here on the Skype screen, Waldorf and Statler is your bloody... Profile pick, you prick. Well, let's call that a happy accident. <laughs> <laughs> no, but look, I, I think um, Australian Brews News has certainly come of age this year and is certainly set up to, to really move us forward. Uh, Radio Brews News bringing in the, the third voice uh, and splitting up into the, the news side of things and then the beer is a conversation. Uh, personally, I think it's worked really well. I know we you know, probably shouldn't blow our own trumpet, but as my grandfather used to say, well, no other bugger will do it for you. And we, we've had great feedback about the split because people are enjoying being able to, you know, particularly if you're going back through previous interviews, you don't want to wade through, you know, two-year-old news to get to the interview. Um, but then we've had a lot of people, uh, you know, I was having a chat to, to Paul Daly during the week uh, who hosted us at the Malt Shovel last week and he said he likes the news. He likes to sort of hear uh, our take on the news and uh, three different uh, uh, opinions hammering it out. So it, it, it's been a, a good change we've made this year, I think. Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, look, we might even uh, use that as a nice little segue and an opportunity to knock over the news of the week before we get into a bit of a wrap. Uh, James, Matt and myself have... Um, plundered the archives and gone back into the memory banks and come up with our best and worst, uh, our best brewery, our best beer and our best brewer for the year. So before we get into that, we will knock off the one new story of the week, which uh, caused a few ripples and well written, James, well presented. Apparently, there are some large companies in Australia that don't pay tax. Well, they, they do pay some tax. It's just they don't pay corporate tax because for tax purposes, they both are in a loss position. Um, so that was the case for CUB for the three years to 2015-2016. And Sahi in 2015-16 was the same. They were also in a tax loss position, so they didn't pay any corporate tax, which is just tax on the profits that you make. Just for those so, out there that probably think, hang on, how, how does this all work? How can so CUB, um, as a you know division of SAB Miller, Australia Proprietary Limited, Income of two, how can you make two point eight, two point one eight billion dollars, and not make profit? Well, there's plenty of companies that, <laughs> that plenty of big companies that don't make profits. Um, so I suppose the question with AB InBev is that they're making profits in some markets, but Australia apparently isn't one of them, and that's where I suppose it becomes you know, the, the, the accounting practices of these big multinationals and where they choose to make, where they make their profits, you know, sometimes there might be a bit of a question mark over whether they're, they're deliberately distributing profits in such a way that it minimises their tax. So in a nutshell, SAB Miller, $2.18 billion total income, zero corporate and we should, tax. 
Asahi, yeah, $1.51 billion, zero corporate tax. And we should just make the point that in the case of, you know, CUB, that obviously that company's changed hands in that time. So, you know, this is the SAB Miller era that we're talking about here and we don't know whether it's going to be the same, you know, under AB InBev, although I think that they would have come and said, oh, actually, you will see that it'll be a different result in 2016, 2017, and they didn't do that. So I'm presuming that CUB will once again be in a tax loss position for that next year. Well, I can assure uh, our listeners that Prof <laughs> Brews News PTY Ltd paid more tax than uh, both of them because we we did have a tax <laughs> both bill. Both of them combined. <laughs> so uh, I, I might go and see them and uh, work out how I can put Brews News. You know, we, we don't make a lot, but we're still paying more tax than uh, than those guys. And I might have to uh, go get some advice on uh, how to minimise Brews News PTY Ltd tax. That's it. Tax evasion, isn't it? <laughs> it's not quite evasion, and it's not avoiding it. <laughs> Uh, and we should point out too, just to, to, to balance the ledger, uh, Lion, uh, $4.19 billion in total income, um, of which $427 million was taxable and they paid $111 million. And Coopers, total income of $241 million, of which $45 million was taxable, they paid $12 million in corporate tax. So, and James, from, from a business point of view, and, and sorry for sort of banging on about the pop, because I just don't understand it, but can you kind of say, uh, can you pick and choose where you make your profits and you choose that your profits have come from your markets where uh, the corporate tax rate is lower? Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt that companies do try and minimise their tax in some markets, you know, where, where, it, where it suits them to do so. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that that happens. How, how that actually happens, um, that's a question for, you know, people who are on a higher pay grade than me. But, um, <laughs> but I think it's, you know, there's no question that that happens. Matt, do you think it plays into or feeds into the, um, I guess, the, the push to, to buy independent or is it a separate kind of argument? Oh no! Look, I I think you know it, it is one of those um, nuanced issues that does fall into that category. And on, on one hand, as the sort of any big company says, you know, it is our corporate obligation to it is our legal obligation to maximise returns for our shareholders, and you know that tends to mean paying less tax. So anything that's legal, we will do. Um, and you know they're not charged to be ethical, uh, or the, you know they're not charged to you know pay the most tax that they can um, by their shareholders. So you can fully understand you know their their points of view. And when you've got multinational companies, I mean I, I presume some of this comes from having to pay licensing agreements for brands and you know a whole lot of things like that. That um, I mean I'm not a tax lawyer, but I, I presume that there's a whole lot of that sort of thing going on. But then, you know, for, for small independent brewers, they can also come out and say, well, look, you know, we do pay tax in this country and we, you know, we are family owned or we are small or we, we do pay tax. Um, but again, you know, I'd, you know, Prof, my view of things like contracts changed um, when, you know, small brewers started getting to the size that they uh, would start, you know, paying exactly the same sort of incentives when they were too small to pay them. Um, they, they couldn't pay and they complained about. And, you know, I sort of wonder whether, you know, some of the breweries as they get big um, are going to start availing themselves of any opportunities they can to, to reduce tax as well. It, it, it is a very nuanced issue um, and it does come round to, it, it doesn't feel right to me, but again, you know, there are wider issues at play, I think. For sure. All we can do and, and encourage our listeners to do is to, um, you know, drink more beer so that you can support all the breweries. Hmm. And, and look, you know, one of the arguments that uh, big brewers have always said is that we are major employers in the country. You know, we pay, you know, our employees pay tax and, and all of those things. And that's, to, to some extent, very true. But I also think when you look at, you know, just how inherently inefficient small breweries are in terms of the number of employees per litre of beer created, that when we see the quality of the beer that's coming out of these smaller breweries and the number of jobs that are created, if people shift their dollar to smaller breweries and um, drink more from smaller breweries, there will be, you know, more jobs created. Um, And I I guess that is the same if you shift your dollar to smaller breweries, they're probably going to be paying, you know, more tax. Yeah, exactly. And we should point out too that all the, all of those brewers that we mentioned, whether they paid a cent in corporate tax or not, um, all still did chip in um, as far as excise goes. So, um, uh, well, see, like James and I had a great chat about that. Are, are the brewers paying the excise or are they merely tax collectors? Because 
the government charges the excise, the brewers collect it, but then we pay it in our purchase price. As everyone keeps telling us, um, you know, it means more expensive beer out in the marketplace. So I don't know that any brewery actually, they collect and remit the excise. My argument would be that they don't actually pay it. But James has got a different view. I mean, they pay it, but they recoup that, you know, they pay it before they sell the beer. So I don't think that there's, um, you know, there's any doubt that they pay it, but they do pass it on. And I think that that, that point, your point was illustrated this week when the Brewers Association, the Australian Brewers Association, which, um, you know, represents Lions, CUB, Coopers, uh, put out a statement in relation to the, the proposal to introduce a minimum unit, minimum unit price on alcohol. I don't know if you guys followed that this week, but I did the Brewers yeah. Association put out yeah. a statement. Yeah, yeah, and they said um, Australians already pay amongst the highest excise on beer in the world, in addition to a 10% GST on top of that. So that's the Brewers Association saying that Australians pay the excise. So, so that sort of proves your point. Yeah, no, exactly. Mike, can I put that down as a? I'm not going to move on until I actually get to put this in the win column for me. I don't. I, they don't come all of that often with you blokes. <laughs> Easy, champ. You get plenty, you get plenty of wins, I reckon. <laughs> I'm finishing on a win. Just one thing I wanted to mention, though, that I did that didn't make it into the story that I wrote on that was um, I was interested to find that CUB recently, just in the last couple of months, advertised a role um, tax manager, and in the job description it says the primary focus of the role will be on tax controversy risk mitigation, which I thought was interesting. I think they need that job. <laughs> there we go. Shall we get on to the, uh, the main point of this uh, last episode uh, for 2017 and have a look at our best and worst and etc. Matt, let's start with you. What's been good for beer in 2017? What's your, what's your best? Okay, Prof, uh, because I, you know, I've become a prize fence sitter, my good for beer and my worst for beer, I had two things that stood out, but then... When, when I sort of reflected on them, I actually thought, well, each has two sides to the coin. So my, my good for beer is actually, on a, another view of it, uh, my worst for beer. And my worst for beer um, is, on the face of it, also the best for beer. So do you want me to answer those together or do you want me to just throw in best for beer and then come back to it in when we discuss worst for beer? Just fucking answer it to be a start. <laughs> okay. Good for beer um, <laughs> is fadism. You know, New England IPAs, suddenly gone from nowhere to everyone's drinking New England IPAs and it's the only thing that uh, you're seeing in social media creating such excitement. It's getting people talking about beer, it's getting column inches in uh, newspapers, um, people are talking about it and it's fantastic, but it has a downside. So I'll come back to that in Worse for Beer. All right, cool. And I think we also, we need a little soundbite, I reckon, um, of just Charlie Bamforth saying, chicken soup. <laughs> for every every time you mention New England IPAs. But it is. It's one of those things that, like, I, I don't like them myself. And I know that there's a lot of blowback about them. Um, and, you know, we, we dismissed a lot of this stuff as fads last week, being the flares or the mullets of the industry. But, it you know, it gets people out buying beer. It gets people talking about beer. And, you know, that that can only ultimately be a, a good thing for creating awareness about craft beer. Yeah. Then it also has a worst um, element to it as well, so I'll, I'll leave that. Well, mine is, I guess, uh, a little bit related to that. I reckon what's been really good for beer uh, this year is cans, um, both in terms of uh, improvement in the technology, but also coupled with the, or, or alongside that, parallel to that, is the it seems to be more widespread acceptance. There seems to be a little bit more, um, and this is coming from a lot of my mates who are who are not beer people, uh, who have sort of always associated cans with, I guess, with mainstream, with, um, you know, fill, full eskies going camping or, um, you know, houseboating or whatever it might be, uh, who are now starting to, whether or not it's just because they're seeing more of it or, or as you say, hearing more about it. But um, so cans for me. I agree with you, Prof, but I've just added another one to uh, my nuanced best for beer is also the worst for beer list. And uh, cans have just made that worst for beer list as well. Okay. Uh, James, what's your best? Oh, well, let's, let's, let's settle in. Let's settle in. We could be here for a while. <laughs> um, Matt and I had lunch last week at Frenchie's Bistro and Brewery um, in Sydney, which is a couple of French dudes, one of whom's a brewer and the other one's, um, you know, a, a very experienced chef who's worked in Michelin star restaurants um, in France. And they're serving up 
you know, really quite highbrow bistro style French cuisine um, and pairing it with some some really tasty beers. And I just think that having a restaurant that's doing serious beer, um, serious food together is something that's really, really good for beer. Um, and my second one is just beer, good beer, making it into new um, frontiers, such as, you know, we've seen in the last week Stomping Ground doing a pop-up at Melbourne Airport, um, Gage Roads getting the stadium deal, Bent, Bent Spokes managed to, um, you know, make inroads into some sporting grounds as well. So I just think that that's a, been a pretty significant development this year. Here, here. Plenty that's good for beer. Matt? What's bad for beer? Um, fatism. Um, so it, it created a lot of excitement, but I think it's also because, as with any fad going too far, the extremism actually holds, uh, you know, whether it's beer wankerdom or whether it's, you know, the, the haziest, you know, chicken soup IPAs, it, it holds the industry up to ridicule, and I think that actually can alienate some people. Um I also think uh, worse for beer, and this is where my second one, worse for beer, is brewery takeovers. Um, you know, it's we, we've seen some of the biggest of the independent breweries taken over and fall out of that independent stable that can create excitement and independence around, you know, around independence, um, taken over by big brewers. But at the same time, it, it, it is great because it certainly does increase the reach for um craft beer they've got the muscle to advertise it and and you know we, we still have a very vibrant industry to do it so i think brewery takeovers are the worst but also you know they, they, they're equally balanced by the positive column um and to your point uh prof about cans couldn't agree more cans are fantastic crafting cans has let craft beer go into situations that uh bottled beer hasn't been able to go to you know camping fishing um you know festivals all of those sorts of things but that's just changing the style of beer in those situations. It's not increasing situations to the beer fold. I find that cans are limiting beer, you know, going into restaurants and some more upmarket bars because certain demographics won't drink beer from a can. Um, and, you know, and, and we encourage people to pour into a glass. But the number of times I've been in a nice restaurant and ordered a beer that comes in a can like a Bolter XPA and it just the act of pouring it into a glass at a table in a nice restaurant is just a complete anathema it'd be just like you know ordering uh, a glass of wine and having the waiter come out fill your glass up with a cask of goon it lends itself to a lot of situations but cans are just really limiting some really great beers from getting and very food friendly beers from uh, getting wider take up I think in, uh, in, in other areas. Yeah, well, I guess it opens opportunities for, for those who have either the opportunity to bottle or can. Um, chatting at the Albury, um, Great Australian Beer Festival Albury uh, last week, at the uh, we did a degustation dinner at the, the Good Shed just over the river at uh, Wodonga. And Ben Krause was sort of talking about how when he first launched the Chevalier Saison, which was, you know, the beautiful 750 mil, yeah. that, that now has gone the way of the dodo because it just that there just wasn't the... It wasn't commercially viable anymore. Doesn't he do it at all in the uh, 750i? I knew he was doing 330ml bottles, but I didn't realise he'd uh, axed the 750s. Well, that's that was my understanding. Um, okay. We'll get Ben or um, or perhaps Brad Rice up there um, or one of the guys. Dave O'Keefe I th- listens to the, the podcast. Uh, Dave's my local rep and a good bloke. And uh, he might be able to shed some light on that. But I'm pretty sure it's only available yeah, now in the, in the 330s, which I wasn't aware of, as I say, until, until Ben sort of spoke. Um, at the dinner. Uh, so, yep, yeah, no, I totally see your point there, Matt. Um, I guess, yeah, as I said, opens up some opportunities for those who do have bottled product. If Ben has dropped the 750s, um, that is a great example of why it's nuanced. Ben launched that beer um, because Saison's are my absolute pick for food-friendly beers. Um, I would almost never do a beer tasting without a Saison because they just work so well with such a wide variety of foods. Mm. And so it's interesting that Ben you know, launched it to get it into restaurants. But again, that's limiting and, uh, you know, because it limits the applications elsewhere. So you can never be blind to the fact. And, and that's why I think cans are fantastic um, and cans are good for beer. But there is also this other element that, you know, consumer perceptions, you, you can't force a square peg into a round hole. Um, and if people want to drink beer in cans, that's fine. But we are 
seeing elements of the beer market close, or alternatively, we are seeing opportunities for other people that say, well, okay, I'll let everyone else go. You know, I'm not going to do the match racing. I'm not going to, because everyone's going cans, I'm not going to go cans. I'm going to, you know, concentrate on the restaurant market. And, and we've seen guys like uh, Costa at La Serene, who, you know, his bottles are beautiful um, and, and have been targeted around, uh, around that restaurant market. Yep, Topher Bain at, um, at Wildflower. Same. Exactly, yep. All right, James. What's bad for beer, 2017? Oh, I think I'll just say crap marketing. Um, so a couple of things that spring to mind was the launch of Hobo, which was um, a range of craft beers that are relatable to the everyday man. <laughs> uh, I just thought that was just everything about it was naff. The, the cans were, you know, a bit of a ripoff of Bolter's cans, really. And um, then having tried the beers over the weekend, I don't think I've ever been sent, you know, a set of beers that were... Yeah, just very undercooked, um, you know, very unbalanced and a lot of yeast character and just, yeah, not not a very impressive launch to market with very cringeworthy branding. Um, you know, in, in a similar but somewhat different way, I suppose Iron Jack really hated the overly masculine marketing of that brand. <laughs> Don't be homophobic. I'm still tipping there's going to be an Iron Jack float at the uh, Mardi Gras, at the Sydney Mardi Gras next year um, because it is. Like, it was just so masculine. Um that but you know I, I, you know they were playing to a market um and you know that there is still a market for you know very masculine beers um rightly or wrongly I and mean, we can debate that separately but you know that that's the essence of marketing in being masculine i don't think it was being necessarily anti-female um in any way i don't think it was being misogynist in any way but you know there's it's just the same reason that they market high lux utes to a certain demographic because a certain demographic buys them is there a chance you reckon that we'll um, see just behind the Iron Jack float will be the wingman float? Because your wingman kind of. You know. I actually think the wingman branding is is not bad. Like I don't, I don't really. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I think the actual branding of it's. Or I mean, I think I, I, I think I much prefer it to Iron Jack, which I just find terrible. And and I don't know whether having a beer that is making a beer in this day and age that is so overtly masculine. Um, I don't know whether that's necessary for the brand and I don't know whether that's good for the beer category I just think it sort of reinforces perceptions of of, of beer being this blokey drink and I don't I don't think that yeah that it's really necessary to go down that path if the radio ads are running in New South Wales and Queensland the same as they are I assume they are in um in Victoria um describing the taste as um uh, um crisp smooth and never bitter You're not really describing a beer. See, now we're getting into the whole category of beer, and you know, I think Corona and you know, Summer Bright Lager and Great Northern are beers for people who like the cue of having a beer in hand, but don't actually like the flavour of beer. And in honest moments, the the brewers acknowledge that as well. You know, that's still part of that declining interest in bitterness in beer, and people who don't want to acquire the taste for bitterness that a lot of other people um, have. Um, but the, you know that, that's a bit separate to the to the idea of marketing that James is bringing up, and you know I, I think he's spot on. I, I think it is, and I think it's a little bit sad. Um, but that's a battle that you know I've been fighting for ten or fifteen years with the forex commercials and all of those sorts of things. And unfortunately, if you get the marketing wrong, it doesn't matter how good the liquid is, you, you don't sell. And Great Northern seems to have done a very good job with a very similar product, and they because they've got the marketing right. Um, and if there's enough people who like that. Uh, masculine marketing, the, the beer is going to do well. To say that they shouldn't be targeting people who would otherwise sell um, would pretty much discount, I reckon, 60% of marketing um, because you, you market to your audience. I was almost going to give uh, Great Northern actually uh, a spot in my um, top three best beers because I think anyone, any brewery that A, uh, brews a million mile away from where they say they do, makes a beer that almost tastes of nothing and yet managed this year to bring out a second product line called Great Northern Original. <laughs> I think they've done brilliantly well. Like, there was only one. And then... And it no, was- no, no. That Great Northern Original is the product that they launched with, and that was only ever available in Queensland. And then they launched a mid-strength version called Great Northern Super Crisp, and that's the one that went absolutely gangbusters. And then right. off the back of that, okay. all they've done is said, let's let's expand 
the reach of Great Northern original outside of Queensland. Matt can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that's my understanding. I'm pretty sure that's it, yeah. So what was launched in Queensland originally was only available in Queensland, and then they leapfrogged that with the the, the crisp. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty much exactly how it is. There you go. So the, um, the Yak Ales uh, franchise must be quaking in their boots. Perhaps the, the Great Northern franchise will, uh, will overtake Yak Ales this year. I'd actually be willing to say that Great Northern is already bigger than Yak Ales because it's targeting a different market. You know, Yak is still in that craft beer um, fringe, like yeah. what, what is still outside of the main, whilst it's mainstream craft. You know, I haven't seen figures, but I would suspect that Great Northern was uh, much bigger in terms of volumes than uh, Fat Yak. I think Great Northern could buy and sell Yak Ales many times over, but I think Prof's point was just in terms of the range ex- extensions, variations ah. on a theme. Great Northern Super Crisp, Great Northern Original. What's next? Great Northern with a twist of lemon or something like that. That's what, that's about all. That's about that's about the only place you can go with those clear bottle drinks, isn't it? Yeah, Great well, Northern I, and lime. Yeah. See, I, I wonder if they will do that because just on that masculinity and you know there is still that subtle masculinity to Great Northern because it's sort of outdoors and fishing and but it, it doesn't it's not quite as overt as Iron Jack. But one of the things that Summer Bright Lager, which again fits within exactly the same clear bottle contemporary um, and. Maybe we've gone far too much talking about these beers for our Lifestyle audience. Um, but Summer Bright Lager did have those lemon and lime I- extensions, and so it's regarded as being a bit of a chick's beer. That's how I've heard it. That's not my words. That's how I've heard it referred to, uh, particularly when you get into the, the north of Queensland. So the, the, the blokes will drink Great Northern, and the wives will drink Summer Bright Lager because it's you know, a little bit like the old Holden Barina of beers. <laughs> in this clear uh, bottle episode of Radio Brews News <laughs> that's what marks us as being different we, we, we're that's all it. beer not just craft uh, speaking of being different my bad for beer for 2017 is social media beer selfies just, just stop them I thought you were just right. going to say social media and beer generally, and I was going to, I was going to applaud that. Just the well, I, did. I started, um, I started out with social the... media generally, and I kind of distilled it down. I thought, oh, you know, where do we go here? And uh, we are still working on um, a new segment for 2018, um, tentatively titled Old Man Yells at Cloud, uh, where we will just randomly, and we're not naming anyone. We're not going to name the uh, Facebook forum or the or the platform uh, from which it has come. But we're just going to we're just going to read comments that have been left. Letters to the editor, basically. Letters to the editor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Prof reads letters to the green guide. So, 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 Prof, when you say beer selfies, do you mean photos of your beer? No, 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 no. Photos, photos of of people drinking a beer in the shower. Like a selfie. Oh, we'll see. Shout. That's just a whole other fact. That just that's fingernails on a blackboard for me. But just just a general. Yeah, people taking photos of themselves drinking a beer, uh, mainly because they're not because you've got to show the what beer it is, and you've got to have one hand free to take the selfie. Because we can't all have tripod remote setups that Matt's got. They're drinking out the bottle of the can, and it's just okay. I, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't get it. I don't like the new music because I don't understand it. Um, But I mean, I I have that whole thing with social media. When James agrees with you that you know, post your beer in social media, I you know, like I I kind of agree with that. But you know, then again, that's where you've got the 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 flip side is that every time I post a photo of a beer that I'm drinking, I sort of think this is just so self-indulgent and ridiculous that this is the most important thing that's going on in my world that I can post. But then again, that's the business that I'm in, I guess. Uh, listeners, if you're ever following my social media, if I if I do get a beer, I always photograph it before I've tried it because that way you get the nicely freshly poured beer shot. And if I sort of say, can't wait to try this. <laughs> you probably didn't like it. Yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm not going to sort of get on and sort of say, this is horrible. I, I certainly didn't send a photo of Wingman um, when they sent me a six pack because I was definitely going to try that before I uh, did it. But uh yeah, if it's something that's a bit hit and miss, um, I'll also say here's the unboxing. This is you know this is available, but I'm not certainly not going to say I loved it. Um, and if it's crickets afterwards, then you might take that as a recommendation. On that topic, assuming that regional brewery uh, wingmanbrewery.com.au um, is not in your list of best breweries, give us what is. Uh, now, see, see, that's a hard one, Prof. Um, and, and I've been sort of struggling because there are like the the number of breweries who are really pushing out uh, really exciting beer. Uh, you know, it's a really good quality beer, um, which is exciting for me at the moment. But look, 
I'm going to stay local. Um, it, it seems that most of the lists, li, the lists that I've seen have been fairly uh, you know, local based on where the uh, publisher is, um, with the exception of Crafty, and he's got a team of people who are doing lists. But I'm going to say Bolter. Um, you know, look, I, I think that the way that they have created some really, really solid beers, it's really available. They've got a little bit of a... Um, benefit because of the profile of the guys behind it but I would certainly argue that they haven't milked that too much Um, but they are just making really good beers that are getting a really wide acceptance um, amongst people that otherwise don't give a toss about you know independence craft beer or anything like that they're just getting beer out um, to, to a lot of people that surprises me that they're drinking uh, even a beer like Bolter XPA so uh, my, my tip is Bolter. Can't can't disagree with you there, Matt, at all. That's uh, spot on. And if for nothing else, uh, Black Metal Disco, which is just sort of so incongruous, I think, with that whole kind of, you know, Gold Coast lifestyle sort of theme, the beer is so approachable, so... But, but yet, um, you know, if you listen to it, it's got a story of its own. It drinks beautifully, easily, uh, which I guess belies its... Um, it's look in the glass kind of thing. And uh, the feedback that we got from um, knocking out a few boxes of it uh, up at the Ecker uh, suggests that, yeah, Bolter, 100%, agree. James? I'm going to say Ben spoke. I think it's been a cracking year for them because they've really you know, made the transition from being a you know an awesome brew pub uh, in Canberra um, and just starting to expand into, you know, into Sydney and so forth and been starting to get uh, to try their beers a little bit more and they've put out a new lager, which I really enjoyed just in the last few weeks. And I sort of think that just with the likes of, um, you know, Feral and Pirate Life having uh, sold out in the last few months that, you know, Ben Spoker, a brewery that really can go on and do great things, not suggesting all they're going to sell out because I know that that's not not part of their plan at all. But I just think that that, you know, with, with the you know transition of those two brands to being part of ABI, that it does open up opportunities for a few independents to really move and go to the next level. And I think Bolt is certainly one of those. And Ben Spokies too. 100%. And I'll just give a quick shout out to uh, Dale Meddings from Bintani. I'm sure Dale's listening. Might have He might have forgotten that I ordered some beer um, and because I, I was hoping that I might uh, get some of Mort's Gold um, from Ben Spoke, the new uh, the new lager. Uh, so, yeah, nice pick, James. Mate, I think that's a great And Congratulations to them for uh, getting picked up by Singapore Airlines this year as well, So, which is a great testament to what they're doing. Yeah, you um, also look at how they did in Gabs this year and, you know, ramping up that second venue. And I believe there's some news to come about the plans for that venue, um, you know, that as in their production brewery. Uh, so they've just had a, had a great year. I don't know a lot about Canberra and a lot about Canberra business. I know it's, you know, land of roundabouts and politicians pretty much and public servants. But um, it would have to be, I would think, like... Uh, in terms of a, a cultural hub and in terms of uh, a local employer, Ben Spoke must be must be getting up there. I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Guys, we, we had such fun in Sydney. I really think that we should look at doing a quarterly uh, road show. Road um, trip, road trip, road yeah. trip. But uh, and and that would be one of my pick uh, places to to re- to record. Well, wishing won't make it so, as the saying goes. So we'll need to uh, perhaps speak to our travel agent and uh, our manager, management, uh, get them to confer, and perhaps we can do Canberra fairly shortly. Done. Um, my my best brewery for the year, for a number of reasons, um, not the least of which is the way that the, this particular venue is attracting non-beer people um, across to beer just by the way everything's set up. Um, they've had an expansion this year. They've added cans. Uh, they've done various pop-ups, including the most recent one at um, Melbourne Airport, as well as raising $75,000 for Movember. So my brewery of the year goes to Stomping Ground down here in, in Collingwood. Yeah, good call. And gives good call. people you know, a, a reason not to hate Collingwood. So um, <laughs> there you go. So for so many reasons, uh, Stomping Ground. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. 
All right, boys, let's keep moving. Uh, Matt, what's your best beer of 2017? Again, having called Bolter out um, for, for my best brewery, I'd, I'm loath to say XPA, but I still think XPA is a, it, it is a great beer. Um, you know... Yeah, hard to argue. I'm, I'm going to claim a second uh, win here, having James already conceded uh, one point to me. I, I, I think I was fairly early to the game for Lagers, um, making a comeback. I think that was my tip about two years ago, and this year we've really seen them explode. Um, but I, I'm going to say... Have we, though? Yeah, look, I, I think that, 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 that would be my tip for the trend for uh, 2018 because I think they still aren't huge. They're still uh, in that early foothold days, but I think they are going to be the next can um, movement. People have been saying that every year, and it's never, never really quite eventuated. Well, they're, they're hard to make, and that's the thing. So I think the, the quality of craft brewers, uh, the, the skill level of craft brewers is improving, but um, the Thornbury Lager um, from Three Ravens, which I think was my beer of the year last year, Prof. It must have been the year before, Prof, because I know that uh, Thornbury Lager was in my hottest 100 votes early this year, so it must have been the, the, the previous year. And maybe it's a Queensland thing because most breweries are, have a lager up here these days. Um, some cracking pilsners, whether it's Bolter's Pilsner or uh, Slipstream open with a pilsner. Um, and you know, most of the, the, the brewers have got a really good uh, lager. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I'm actually going to say rather than nominate a single beer, the number of craft brewers that are bringing out characterful um you know, lagers, and, you know, the, the most recent one, and I tried it on one occasion, James, but I had a couple of them, and I, I still loved it, was a Topher's Lager. Oh, yeah, that, that was very enjoyable. And, and a real surprise for a guy who's uh, making wild uh, fermented beers to have such a lovely, characterful, you know, I, I could have pictured myself sitting in a, uh, in, in a Czech um, brewery drinking that one. But uh, so lager, good, crisp uh, lagers is, is my beer of the year. Nicely done, Splinter Ass. Not uh, committing to anything there, James. What was your best beer? I'm going to say Nail Nail VPA. I, I, just just a beer that I've had quite a few of and and really really enjoyed as just a really you know hop flavour explosion. That's not too bitter. I just think it's a great beer. Yeah, no, nicely done. Couldn't uh, couldn't argue with that one. My top three contains now five beers because I've worked out having just called Matt Splinter Ass. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm finding it a little bit hard to get off the fence as well. I, I looked at mine and gone, oh, geez, I've, I've kind of gone fairly, fairly lager heavy. But you know, as Matt said, that's 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 where all the cool kids are going, I reckon. Uh, so my uh, number three was um, Wildflowers Lager, uh, just very impressive, and for the for the method, for the, um, the you know the, the the story behind it, the the reasoning behind it, uh, and 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 again, it's that shared experience of beer. You know, you, you just can't underestimate. I don't think the occasion. Uh, my number two beer uh, was actually a tie between um, the Three Ravens Thornbury Lager and the Hawkers Double IPA. Those who know me know that I'm not really a big IPA, double IPA kind of, you know, it's, it's not my go-to sort of beer. Um, and part of that is, you know, just my nature. It's just, you know. It's just the vibe of the thing, but it's also because I guess I have to travel quite a bit, um, which can get quite expensive with Ubers and taxis and lack of public transport out this way. So I'm, I'm often driving. It's easier for me to have a couple of, uh, I guess, smaller beers than to you know, take the risk with too many double IPAs. But the Hawkers uh, double IPA, I had a couple of and had them at the brewery and at, a, at an event and at home and, and just magnificently um, hidden 9.3 or whatever the 7.8, whatever it was, uh, it, it just drank dangerously um, easily. So for that, I just thought that was a that was a really well-crafted beer. So I think Justin Corbett's responsible for the execution of it. I think John Selton uh, was responsible for the um, for the design of that beer along with the with the crew. Uh, and my um, number one beer, again, couldn't split them, so I've just gone um, dead heat with uh, Bolter Pilsner and the Hawker's Pilsner. Oh, there you go. So I forgot Hawker's had a Pilsner. They do a very nice Pilsner as well. So, Yeah, absolute cracker. Moving on, Matt, that leads us nicely into the best brewer. Now, the best brewer doesn't necessarily have to be the brewer who brewed your favourite beer, which is lucky for you because there are about eight of them. Who's your best brewer, Matt? I'm going to stay local for this one again, uh, only because it's who you have the most experience with. No, fair enough. Uh, Johan at Green Beacon. Um, just because you know he has 
overseen a big brewery expansion this year and Green Beacon's uh, beer quality has stayed rock solid. Um, you know, they really have been one of the star performers in terms of the quality and consistency stakes. Uh, some people would argue that their can range isn't the most exciting of the you know, craft breweries, but just in terms of uh, consistency and quality, he has just absolutely nailed it. And uh, I, I think as the wheel turns, we're going to see that sort of quality and consistency become more and more important. Couldn't agree more. James, best brewer, 2017. Oh, look, I didn't really prepare one, but I was just thinking um, maybe Sam Foote should be should be in there, given she's had a, a you know a cracker of a year with picking up the gong for the um, you know the filter XPA, and I really really have enjoyed that filter red, um, and actually she's they've just launched a, a lager uh, recently, which I'm interested to try too. Yeah, looking forward to trying the lager, and yeah, 100%. Um, somebody who's um, had her ups and downs and has, you know, been there when, um, I guess, at, at the forefront in terms of, uh, I think, back to uh, God, the old days of the, uh, was it Three Degrees uh, Brew Bar in Middle Park, um, that whole kind of, I guess, reinvigorating or reimagining the, um, you know, the Loaded Dog or the um, the Redback Brewery Bar, you know, the, the brew pub kind of model um that didn't necessarily work out too well but then true south she did some really amazing things down there and really put that on the map and uh and again that bringing non-beer people into the fold um and interestingly she was uh working on the st andrews beach brewery which has just opened up or about to open up uh, on the mornington peninsula down here um, and they hit a bit of a snag where they um in the excavations uncovered uh, an aboriginal midden which is uh, like a you know a, uh, a cooking uh, area, and so things were sort of put on hold there. Uh, but I guess you know sliding doors or you know one door opening, another one closing, that led her to um, to filter. So well done to Sam. I had uh, Johan as well in my um, in my best book, along with an honourable mention to um, to him and to Dan and Derek at Bad Shepherd. Some of the beers that they put out this year, I was lucky enough to try their, I think it was the number four in their um, like crew brew crew series where they have, um, you know, the kitchen staff or sales staff or whoever it is is allowed to sort of, you know, work in conjunction with the brewers and create a beer. And they made a magnificent rye amber ale, which was just an absolute cracker. And then I don't know if you guys have been able to try it, but they've brought out their Reserve Road Draft, which is based on their checkmate Pilsner with the, um, the bitterness backed off just a little bit. But again, Absolute cracking, you know, 10 overs, none for 40, line and length lager, absolute deluxe. But my brewer of the year this year for 2017 goes to Ren Blackman um, in a nice little switch there from um, or Synergy from um, True South because, of course, he now brews the um, – not only brews the, the beers that are served at True South, but brews them on the old brewery that used to be in at True South. Um, his uh, – getting a bit of a theme here, boys, but uh, his lager collective – was sent to me and three of the most magnificent beers I've ever had. Absolutely just on point, absolutely spot on, the juicy banger. Uh, just can't say enough about it. So for, for this year, I just thought I'll give give Ren the gong. Nicely done, boys. Nice one. People have been looked after there. Yeah, and a couple, of, a couple of the same and a couple of surprises. So there we go. We've kind of touched on, I guess, the next big thing. So we don't want to kind of labour the point on that. But Matt, what do you, what do you think? What, what What's the big trend for next year? I think balance um, is is starting to come back in. You know, we, we have seen you know that that pointy end, um, but I think uh, balance and sessionability um, is increasingly coming. We have seen, I, I, I think, you know, golden ales, colshers, lagers starting to supplant pale ales as being the, the 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 beer that a lot of breweries are building their um, uh, ranges around. And so, yeah, I, I think uh, lager is going to be the big fast mover for 2018 um but i think something you know last year we predicted that there were going to be takeovers and maybe even a few fallovers um we've seen the takeovers i don't think we've seen too many high profile fallovers but i think that we're going to see a bit of a price war um we're going to see price increasingly uh an issue next year and that's going to be driven not so much by the takeovers of the by the big brewing guys, but I think the Coca-Cola, Amatil, um, and Asahi uh, battle, uh, we are already seeing some of those brands contract brewing um, for nameless brands. So like if you've got, you know, say you've got Prof's uh, Pub, 
um, you'll have Asahi or CCA saying, look, we'll do a Profs Pub Lager for you um, and sell it to you for $150 if you put our soft drink on. And with James, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Asahi has Schweppes. They do. I didn't know they were doing the, um, you know, the white label uh, beer thing mm. that, you, that you're talking about. I, I believe CCA has done some of it. Yeah, and, and I know Montice. Montice, Montice does too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think um, Colonial probably does. Uh, or no, well, I suppose Colonial has their um, like their 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 stable of pubs, but I think it's I don't know if they do white label. But I think that uh, having Coca Cola taken over uh, Feral, um, Asahi obviously took over Mountain Goat, but they could be in the market for another uh, brewery. But certainly, we're going to see a lot of. Because they're not just in, uh, invested in beer category by itself, but they've got you know soft drinks as well. Um, I think that we're going to see a lot of battle in the beer space, um, and that'll be centred around uh, soft drinks. And I just saw Asahi today sold out their stake in China's Qingdao Brewery for a very significant figure. It was you know somewhere between fifty and hundred million dollars. Um, so yeah, that gives them a bit of cash to play with if they do want to make some more acquisitions. Mm, that's a big offload. They've got a bit of room in their salary cap. James, your prediction and your next big thing and all. I was just thinking about this one on the fly and I would just say that I think that the brew pub um, model has become increasingly important this year and we've seen you know a lot of uh, uh, several breweries do it with great success and I reckon that we're going to see that continue uh, definitely next year and even possibly some um, guys that have started with a brew pub, decide to do a second a second brew pub, um, as opposed to just sort of the more expansion thing. The one of, got. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's just I think that that's just people have just cottoned onto the fact that it's very hard in this country, you know, to, to get taps and difficult. Just wholesale is challenging generally, and and you really if you if you can find a good place to put your own venue, uh, then that makes life so much easier. Yeah, well, lads, looking at, at what we did uh, last week. Uh, a handful of the breweries that we visited, I'm looking at, say, you know, uh, say Grifter, Staves, uh, Source, uh, Batch. I, I would love to be in those places when they're when they're full. Do you count those, James? As that kind of as a brew oh, pub? Because I, I think ter- certainly in terms of that community feel. I mean, we were in there kind of you know on our own, so it was a little bit hard to tell. But I could just picture what it'd be like when there's a heap of people in. Or do you need to have in a brew pub? Do you need to have that that food offering? As well. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call Grifter or Batch brew pubs. I'd call them, you know, very, very good tap rooms. And and both those breweries would sell the majority of their volume off the premise. Um, so they're like wholesale folk. Oh, okay. But yeah, certainly, yeah. I would say, even though they don't have food, I would say Staves is definitely a brew pub. Um, they, you know, they have food that you, can, that you know you can order in from outside. And I think that, you know, like they sell all their beer pretty much on site, and it looks and feels very much like a pub so um yeah definitely staves is no that's cool 100 agree with that and, and prof I, I know i've said this a few times but i think uh the, the flip side of that greater uh, or that that expansion in brew pubs is going to see some of the craft beer only pubs uh or you know venues that have set up to only offer craft beer um potentially uh close because Speaking to a lot of hospitality people in Brisbane, um, maybe this isn't a national trend, but the rise of Uber Eats, for example, is killing a, a lot of particularly early in the week trade. Um, when people used to just go out to eat, um, these days they're just going, "I oh, bugger it, I'll just I can get the same food from Uber Eats." And we've seen a couple of venue, a couple of restaurants in uh, Brisbane close down and focus solely on you know they just get a commercial kitchen and just solely focus on Uber Eats which is then taking some of the early week trade out of some of the pubs. And uh, if you've got a brewery that is uh, reason to go out that's just more than having a beer, um, I, I actually think that we're going to see a lot of pressure on venues that are trying to only be, you know, small pubs. Interesting. Well, we'll we shall see what we shall see. Uh, my next big thing is a direct response to about 1,000 people on the internet. So my prediction is hawkers will not sell. In the next 12 months, Hawkers will not be the next one to be sold. Fucking don't the, let me the, down here. The you. freshest social media rumours were about Bolter um, in the last couple of days with just some idiot coming on and spreading rumours that he that he heard down the pub. Actually, I've got it in front of me. Um, he said... <laughs> Do it in a funny voice. <laughs> heard that Bolter is not as independent as it may seem. 
allegedly one of the largest stakeholders is not the five surfers and has something to do with coals. Um, an owner of a notable brewery alluded to this recently. <laughs> so well, I do. Oh, I do happen to know for a fact Sterling Howland does shop at Coles. So there we go. We can confirm that. I, I just wrote. I just wrote in response. Sounds concrete. Um, <laughs> and actually, Sterling got on there this morning and set him straight and made clear that uh, yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. What are the chances? I know I've thrown it around as a, a little bit of a flippant aside, but um, the chances of the next buyout uh, actually coming from Stone and Wood or Bolter or Hawkers, I, they, they will buy a smaller brewery, I reckon, before why another big though? brewery goes. But I, I can't work out why they would, um, because Stone and Wood have done so well at uh, creating their own you know, breweries. Look, at um, we could very easily have uh, had... Fixation. Fixation um, as, as being Brewery of the Year. They're very good at cultivating, you know, standalone, not, not spinning off from the uh, Stone and Wood, but they've created it. Why would they go to the cost of buying somebody else's brand? Maybe rather than, than see it get gobbled up by, uh, by the big house. The only reason that I can see that they would is because they're they see themselves as custodians of, you know, the independent brewing sector and like process. Yeah, but they can do that just by being bigger and better themselves. Of course they can. Yeah. They can do that too. Okay, now let's do us. I turn on my computer. I go online. Welcome. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You got mail. Uh, so this is from Neil at uh, Burnley Brewing. So after a little bit of a mention of his um, brewery launch, which is coming up, on another note, great comments from you guys on Pirate Life, Stone and Wood, etc. Um, and then he's given us a link to another bit of news there. And last of all, I tend to listen to the podcast when driving. Wouldn't have been able to tell you when the release date of different ones is. There's just always seems to be something beer-related in my feed when I open the app. Uh, also, I know you've got a busy beer schedule, but let me know when you're next in town. Um, great to catch up for a beer. Well, we might just take you up on that. Thanks very much, Neil. This one is to um, Pete, Matt and James. So all of us, there we go. Uh, just a short note to say thanks for generously hosting the Have a Beer on Us Christmas drinks at Malt Shovel on Monday night. And um, Matt, I think, joins with me in um, sharing Michael O'Shea's uh, sentiments there. And, and a big thank you to Paul Daly and Chuck Hahn, um, Hayden Morgan and the crew uh, at Malt Shovel Brewery for, for putting us all up. And uh, thank you very much, Michael, for your very kind words. Um, he goes on to say it was great to meet you all and have a bit of a chat, share some beer. Thanks to Malt Shovel for having us. P.S. This isn't a plug and I'm not expecting you to read this out, okay? But when Hopster's Co-op gains more traction in the new year, I'll send Brews News an update on our progress. So thanks very much, Mick, from um, Hopster's Co-op. And one last one. This is a bit of a surprise because I actually got a, a, a text about a week before you got this one, Matt. Uh, but this is a first-time listener, sat here with my Hawker Saison and thoroughly enjoyed. Will be a 2008 regular, and that's from uh, Bob Grave. I happen to know Rob, uh, so I was going to give him a shout-out anyway. Um, and uh, wishing him all the best because going into Christmas, he's uh, just managed to slice his finger open on a champagne glass. So shame on you, Rob. It should have been a beer glass. And then you wouldn't have sliced it open. That's right. Exactly. But, you know, to ease the pain, I do believe that Matt has sent you out a Bruise News bar blade. You can use that to smash all the rest of the champagne glasses in your house so that that'll never happen again. And anyone who does write to Mailbag and gets their uh, letter read out will receive a some of our merch, a Bruise News bar blade. They're very sexy. You guys have seen them, so you can attest to their, their uh, high impact and uh, usability on everything but cans. Yeah, don't don't try taking them through um, security checkpoint at the at the airport when you've got to explain why you've got twenty bar blades. <laughs> did you say to them that they were blades when they asked you what they were? Because that was probably I a did, bad I, did, I did I did I did the international uh, mime symbol for <laughs> knocking the top off it. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. But look, they had very good humour and very warm hands. So. Um, Thank you to Akmal and Ahmed for uh, for letting me through eventually. Um, and one more, Matt. Uh, one I meant to mention this last week, but I'm going to shout out to Meg and her mum Monica, who I met up in uh, in Albury at the dinner. They came up and introduced themselves. Said she's been a long time listener, Meg, um, from Berlin. She was over there um, working. She's in the law side of things um, with a particular preference for sort of, uh, I guess, trademark kind of thing. So we had some interesting conversations, but uh, 
she was you know, just keen to sort of keep in touch with the with the beer scene uh, and had us uh, on regular rotation while she was over in Berlin. She's now back over in Australia and looking to uh, get a job within the beer industry. So good luck to her and thank you very much for your kind words, Meg. Awesome. All the way from Berlin. Oh, that's wonderful. Hey, uh, Prof, just before you close out the show, could I just spiral back to the worst of 2017 and de facto, you know, things to avoid in 2018? Yeah, of course, because you, you only very briefly skimmed over it last time. <laughs> I only say this because this has just come up in my feed as we've been recording. Live breaking news, folks. This is actually the wine industry, so it's, but it's applicable to uh, food and wine. Um, now, this is a product that's just been launched, and it is called the Roof Hooch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, picture this, you know, bike racks and, you know, if you want to carry something on your car, you've got that little rack that you can put your bike on and hold it upright. Yeah. Picture one of those, but designed to take a bottle. So you can strap your bottle of wine to your roof. This is obviously for colder climates. And you can chill your bottle of wine while you drive. Right. So it's suction caps that stick to it. You strap your wine into it and you drive um, because when you get there, you want your wine to be cold. But the, the, the reason I bring this up is because have you guys noticed that, you know, as craft beer has become more prevalent and there's a bit of hype around it, every wannabe entrepreneur is coming up with some idea to do something, um, you know, turn your bottle, you know, just your average stubby of beer into a growler. So you open your bottle of beer, then insert a pressurized CO2 canister so you can then decant your bottle of beer into a glass just like it was a tap beer. And raise money for endangered orangutans while you're doing it as well. That's And that's the other thing. <laughs> you know, beer is a charity device. And look, you know, ultimately the market will find these things out or not, but the number of silent rages that I have when I get some of these media releases through and just seeing if you really need to strap a bottle of wine to the roof of your car to chill it, yeah, I think you've got bigger problems. Very much so. Well, folks, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure presenting Radio Brews News this year uh, and Beer is a Conversation. You won't be going without over the festive season. We've um, managed to, to get a few really interesting interviews in the can that will uh, drip feed out to you in the form of Beer is a Conversation. But this is our last Radio Brews News until we come back. We're certainly coming back for um, a, a special for the uh, release of the results of the 10th Hottest 100, the Gab's Hottest 100 uh, Australian Craft Beer Poll. Matt? We'll be back um, with Radio Brews News on Friday the 12th of January 2018. There we go. So enjoy. Um, from all of us to all of you and all of yours, uh, drink well, drink widely, drink local, um, but more importantly, drink with friends. Um, raise a glass to each other and, uh, and to those who can't be with you. And um, on that note, I'd like to uh, dedicate this episode of Radio Brews News to a good friend of the program, Steve Henderson, to his dad, uh, John, who passed away uh, in the last couple of weeks. I was lucky enough to have met him, and, and Matt, I think you, you might have met him as well. And certainly, you know, we know the family um, from um, Lyra H., estate up there the uh the vinegars and, and all that sort of thing so uh, i thought i'll take the opportunity to um give a shout out to to hendo yeah his loss thoughts thoughts with hendo uh with that because i know he's got to spend a, a great deal of time with his dad while he was ill um and uh you know hopefully you know he's got some great memories despite you know losing his dad cherish the ones you're with uh raise a glass to those who can't be with you enjoy the christmas break prof what will your christmas day beer be this year and james yeah, Christmas Eve with um, the Outlaws and Christmas Day with the In-Laws and uh, plenty of good beer. Might have, I, I probably will sneak in a, a Weinstefan, as you know, Matt. I, I do like to sneak in a Weinstefan because of the whole, you know, good King Wences list. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Christmas Carol was good King Wences last look down, not good King Wences last look down. On the Feast of Stephen, or as it is in German, Weinstefan. You see that? Sacred Stephen. Now, look, we'll, we'll finish 2017 with Matt had a win. All right, there we go. <laughs> so long ago now, can't actually remember what it was, but well done and well deserved. James, what was what, what's your beer of choice on Christmas Day? It would have to be um, a lager of some description. Yeah, probably, probably it's, it's, you know, it's going to be a hot day, no doubt. So probably just a nice lager I can enjoy a few of. Beautifully done. And um, thanks very much for your loyalty. Um as I say, we've got a lot planned for 2018, including a couple of new segments that we hope to uh, to, to get off the ground and uh, certainly possibly looking for a couple of sponsors uh, for those. And uh, apropos of that, I will leave you with this final thought for 2017.
team, uh, particularly for those of you who like to uh, tap on the keyboard when uh, issues come up on, on the social medias. And it's, it's just a, a, a lovely quote. It's from British comic uh, Rowan Atkinson, um, who has long campaigned against the um, what he calls the culture of censoriousness um, that is pushed by the inverted commas outrage industry. He said this, the simple truth is that in a free society, there is no right not to be offended. The right to ridicule is far more important to society than any right not to be ridiculed because one, in my view, represents openness and the other represents oppression. So be warned. Uh, starting next year, yeah, just be prepared for some ridicule. And on that note, thank you very much again for 2017 and we look forward to seeing you all in 2018. Prof out. And we're out.